140 years ago, Ned Kelly met his end at that hangman's noose in what we now know as the Old Melbourne Jail. Ned was almost a celebrity in a way, like his exploits and the, the gang's exploit had been followed very, very closely. So, of course, his execution was going to generate a lot of interest, um, both through the public and, and in, the, in the newspapers. We'll never know for certain what his, his final words were, but there's certainly cause to say that it probably wasn't such his life. I'm Jen Kelly from The Herald Sun and this is In Black and White, a podcast about some of Australia's forgotten characters. Today we present a special episode to coincide with the 140th anniversary of the hanging of bushranger Ned Kelly on November 11, 1880. Two days after the hanging, our sister paper, The Weekly Times, produced an extraordinarily detailed account of the last hours of Ned Kelly's life and the execution itself. Today we're talking to journalist Hannah Driscoll from the Weekly Times, who's put together a special report about the last days of Ned Kelly, based on that newspaper account from 140 years ago. You can read Hannah's report and see all the photos on the Weekly Times website at theweeklytimes.com.au, or you can find this story along with all our podcast stories at the In Black and White page, heraldsun.com.au slash I-B-A-W. Welcome to the podcast, Hannah. Thanks very much for having me. So you're here because the Weekly Times has a special report to coincide with the 140th anniversary of of Ned Kelly's hanging. So this is a, a pretty significant anniversary in Australia's history, isn't it? Yeah, it was. 140 years ago, Ned Kelly met his end at that hangman's noose in what we now know as the Old Melbourne Jail. And it was the culmination and the end of a several year saga of um, the actions of the Kelly gang across Victoria, and which came to an end, obviously, with the siege of Glad Rowan in June earlier that year. Um, most of the Kelly gang were killed in that siege and Ned was captured. And then after his his trial and um, his his guilty verdict, he was uh, led to the hangman's noose uh, just after 10 a.m. on the 11th of November, 1880. And it, sometimes it seems like the fascination with the Ned Kelly story just never really dies down, does it? I know that any time that we write a story or record a podcast episode about Ned Kelly or one of his family members or one of the gang members, we always have a really huge response from readers and, and from listeners. And the Ned Kelly story is pretty well known. But I take it that you've been able to dig out some really interesting nuggets of information about the last days of his life. Going back through the old newspaper reports from the time, uh, because it was a huge event, like this this hanging was a huge event um, for Victoria, or what was then the colony of Victoria. Ned was almost a celebrity in a way, like his exploits and the, the gang's exploit had been followed very, very closely. So, of course, his execution was going to generate a lot of interest, um, both through the public and and in the, in the newspapers. Uh, so when the date f- finally did roll around, yes, there was a lot of interest um, of what was about to to unfold. 
And back in those days, they didn't mess around with trials. There was no sort of waiting around on death row for years. So there were only, what, four and a half months or so between the siege of Glen Rowan and the day that he was hanged. And that would have obviously been even quicker except for the fact that he was badly wounded and so he had to be nursed back to health in the Melbourne Jail Hospital before they could even hold the trial. But the trial itself only went on for a couple of days. What do we know about that time in those final weeks and months? What was he up to and who were his visitors? Uh, even up to the week before that he was uh, due to be hanged, his his family and supporters were, were doing everything that they could out in um, the free world while Ned was being held in jail to try and make a case for his for his clemency to try and to try and stave off the execution. Um, and even Ned himself was was dictating letters from behind the jail walls to um, try and, and plead his case, but as we know, none of those were, were successful. And who came to see him in those last few days? Uh, the day before uh, he was executed, we don't, he was visited by his his mum Ellen, who was also in jail at that time, and some of his siblings. Uh, the the legend goes, and and it's in this it, um, this report that we've we've dragged out from from the archives um, that his mother. Uh, Ellen told him, uh, legend says, told him to die like a Kelly. And meanwhile, his brother Jim is quoted as saying that he he said to Ned, he expressed himself that so long as he lived, Ned should never die, that he should be revenged, which is quite ominous words. The first part, you could probably argue that is half true, like Ned would never die. He, his, his shadow still looms large over Australian history in, in a big way. It's interesting to note that uh, Jim, his brother, actually ended up um, dying himself near Glen Rowan when Ed was captured. But Jim actually died in his sleep many, many years later as a as an old man instead of a violent death like one of his brothers. So in those final days before the hanging, there were some photos taken of Ned that we still see today. Yes, yeah, so two of the most famous portraits of of Ned, because of course photography was still in its relative infancy in these days so photographs were were still relatively rare and um, they're quite difficult to to take so it's probably not surprising that there's not all that many photos of Ned that survive these days and two of the most famous were actually taken the day before he died by uh, Charles Nicholson who was a, a police photographer at the time. So the image of the portrait of Ned that everyone would probably know quite well is probably the image that they conjure up when you think of Ned. That one and also another one of him sort of standing propped up. He's got his hand on his hip and one of them's holding a piece of rope around his belt and you can see the chains um, heading down um, towards his leg. So both of those were taken by Charles Nettleton the day before the hanging was due to take place. So tell us about the day of the execution itself. Who would have been present for the hanging? So the report that we've been looking at was published in the Weekly Times on November 13th, 1880. So that's two days after the execution takes place. And we believe it was syndicated from the Daily Telegraph. The Daily Telegraph did have a reporter present for the execution. And that newspaper was owned by the same businessman that that started the Weekly Times uh, 11 years earlier. So this report that we're looking at says that the admissions to the execution were very, very limited. This was not a public execution. This was an execution that took place within uh, the, the jail walls. So admissions were, according to this report, 
confined to a few justices of the peace, one or two medical gentlemen, some jail officials, and the representatives of the press. So it puts the number at 27, very specific. That's not to say that people didn't try to sneak in. There's a story here of a respectable-looking female who pleaded to to get in um, to see Ned uh, just for a minute, and eventually, and with great difficulty, she had to be asked to to leave the precincts of the jail. So it it's it was garnering a lot of interest. Um, what was going on that day, but very, very few people were actually allowed inside the jail to witness Ned's hanging. Oh, that's fascinating. I wonder who she was. Are there any clues in the report who the woman was? No, no clues except that she was a respectable-looking woman and unknown to police. So we, I guess we take that to mean she hadn't had a criminal record before or hadn't come to their attention before. So that was all of the um, information that we have. And what about the general public? I take it there was a huge crowd outside the prison at the time of the hanging. Yeah, so the the crowd of some thousands, it's put between sort of five to 6,000 people gathered along Victoria Street um, waiting to, to hear news and, and waiting to, to sort of see what happened. The family themselves stayed away. It says in this report, none of the relatives of the convict were present, but it does suggest that Perhaps in cases of mistaken identities, there were people who were rushed and surrounded from time to time. They were being mistaken for someone who played a part in Kelly's story up to that point, but family themselves stayed away. There's been a lot of debate over the years about what Ned Kelly's final words were. Were you able to find a definitive answer to that? Short answer, no. (laughs) I don't think we will ever know for certain. As I said before, the the admissions to the jail were kept very limited, but also the way that the the hanging played out, only very, very few people would have been really close to Ned at the time when he walked out from the jail cell where he was held for the last time, made the short walk to, to the gallows and, and where the noose awaited him. There are a couple of different reports of what his, his last words were. So the Herald um, from the day was one of the first to, to put it as such is life. As he stepped onto the drop, he supposedly said such is life, whereas the Argus at the time reported, ah, oh, well, I suppose it has come to this as the rope was placed over his head. And the Sydney Morning Herald, who had a report of this, put it as, ah, oh, well, it's come to this at last on coming out of his jail cell. So there's already three different versions of events. This report from the Weekly Times that we've been looking at puts his last words at, uh, on leaving the cell and before stepping upon the drop, an expression with a sigh escaped Kelly's lips, which the warders and governor interpreted to this effect. Ah, well, I suppose, probably meaning to say he supposed this was the last of it, or this was what it had come to, but the expression was never concluded. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime. 
not quite as dramatic as such is life, is it? You can see why that expression has gone down as part of the Ned Kelly legend, can't you? <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not quite as dramatic or got quite as much poetic flair to it as such is life. It took, uh, as we can see from these reports, it, it obviously didn't take very long for these for this legend to to seed and to and to spread, but. Yeah, this report is much more conservative. It leads to the implication that this is what the warders and the governor, who would have been a bit closer to Ned, might have heard him say, as opposed to the journalists who would have been standing at the bottom of, like, on the ground floor instead of up higher where the gallows, that one level up where the gallows were. So it's a, a little bit more vague and we'll never know for certain what his his final words were, but there's certainly cause to say that probably wasn't such his life mm. which is you know what we all learn what if you said to most people what were Ned Kelly's last words that's what what they would say and people have it tattooed on their arms and and <laughs> and it and it's and it pops up everywhere and it's possibly not factual the other versions of his last words were a little bit too wordy for a tattoo weren't they I just it just leaves a little bit like it's not the the, the saying doesn't conclude ah oh, well I suppose Suppose what, and that's and that's where they they then go on to say, well, this is possibly what he was referring to, and possibly what he was thinking. But ah, oh, well, I suppose doesn't really give us give us much to work with. No. Now the story behind the executioner chosen for Ned Kelly's hanging is pretty interesting, isn't it? Yes. So the the executioner who pulled the lever that opened the drop that thus ended Ned's life was a man named Elijah Upjohn. Now, according to to this report, this was his first execution. He was also a a prisoner, and it's to me, I was it's incredible that one of the most famous hangings in Victorian history was take was done by what what looks to be a debutante, um, but in saying that, the report goes on to say his objectionable work was expediously performed without any sign of faltering or nervousness. So he, it may have been his first time, but he did it well by the sound of it, as well mm. as you can as you can do it a hanging, um, I yeah. should say. Yeah, and, and apparently it wasn't all the case, always the case with Upjohn. He um, was around for a few more years after that, but he sort of became became more and more unreliable over the years until eventually he was sacked. But it's an interesting story to me because it was such an incredibly unpopular job back then. So it wasn't unusual for hangmen to use pseudonyms and they'd wear disguises in public so they wouldn't be recognised and um, they were often unable to lead a normal life and they'd be yelled at and abused in public when they were recognised, and that was the, the case for Upjohn afterwards. There's actually a great book about all of Victoria's hangmen by Trevor Poltney, who's been a guest on this podcast, and the book's called Artists in Hemp, and Trevor Poltney is, is a tour guide and researcher at the Old Melbourne Jail, so he knows the story of Upjohn really well inside out and it's a fascinating story and he explains that they needed a new executioner for Ned Kelly's hanging because the previous one had up and left because as as I said it was an incredibly unpopular job so the, the, the sheriff sought volunteers from among the prisoners and up John had had a long life of crime very sad story he was first jailed when he was 11 years old for three months for stealing um, so by now the time of Ned Kelly's hanging he was in his 50s and um, so basically he stepped forward, he put up his hand and said, yep, I'll do it. And he earned five pounds for doing it. 
Would five pounds have been quite a lot of money to a man like Elijah Upjohn back in 1880? Exactly. I'm sure it would have been. And, um, you know, to a prisoner as well, he didn't probably have fantastic prospects in life. According to the report that was in the Weekly Times, what was Upjohn's actual role in the execution? Well, it it doesn't sort of make it clear exactly how much of the process he was he had hands-on involvement in in terms of the setting up prior to the hanging taking place he does get called upon to um to go and and pinion ned in the cell that ned's being held at just before he walks onto the gallows which ned demures and says that's not really necessary but up john does have to perform that operation at which point after that he then leaves and goes onto the drop and awaits Ned to walk out. So how much of the the setup beforehand, before all that, um, is not clear. But then once Ned walks out onto the gallows, uh, up John adjusts the ropes, pulls the cap over Ned's face, and then steps back and, getting the signal, pulls the lever. Yeah, it's interesting. So there's there's different reports that I've read um, about whether he even did pull the lever. Apparently, at some point afterwards, he told the Herald that he that he didn't. So he did do the pinioning and so forth. But there were there was a doctor, for example, who was responsible for putting the noose around Ned Kelly's neck and making sure the knot was in the right position. And that was a, a really important part of the process because if you had the knot in the wrong position, it could be a you know a, a particularly gruesome hanging. Um, and there were others there who made everything run smoothly. But Upjohn was the official face of the execution and the man whose name was recorded on the official papers. And as a result, he copped plenty of abuse from the public as, as a result and, and had a, a really hard time after that. What sort of reaction did the public have after the hanging? After the hanging, it seems to be that the crowd just slowly dispersed. There was an account at 10am when the clock struck Ten, there was a report of of a woman falling to her knees on the footpath and and offering up prayers for Ned's soul, which would have been, you know, extraordinary to see. Um, but other than that, it seems it seems like there wasn't well, according to this report anyway, there wasn't too much major incidents for the police to be worried about because the police were there and keeping a tight control of the crowd. Now, where can listeners go to read more about the story and to see some photos? We put together a timeline of Ned's final day, uh, which can be found on our website, theweeklytimes.com.au. So that takes you through the the final days from the visit from his family to how he spent his final night and then how he was moved from his cell um, through to a cell near the gallows and then finally how, how his final minutes played out. And finally, what do you find most fascinating about the research that you've done into his last days? The most interesting thing I found was just how detailed the reports from the time were. Like we're talking some of these reports ran into, you know, a couple of thousand words and just the, the level of detail, you know, whether we can retrospectively question it or not, such as the um, what his final words were. This report gives everything from an account to what the gallows looked like to what was going on outside the jail to reports from, you know, what he might have been saying and doing, you know, on his final night. At the time, 
there wasn't a whole lot of sympathy in the press towards the Kellys and and this their sympathizers. This was from the report of the Argus at the time of of the execution. They described them as uh, you know the bloodthirsty Kelly gang of bushrangers, and it will be uh, with a sense of relief that the public will now read the final chapter of their history. So, yeah, they certainly didn't see them as campaigning for you know, their rights or campaigning for some sort of sense of justice. They were bloodthirsty. This was a good thing that this was coming to an end. And that seemed to have been the case for a lot of the, the reports at that time. And it would be interesting to sort of find out when when the press in particular, when that started to evolve and change, you know, Ned started to have written about a bit more um, kindly in the press. Or certainly we have a different reflection of the gang and their actions and any potential motivations. So finally, Hannah, can you just sum up for us the significance of the Ned Kelly story for us? So we when we start off the podcast by saying this will be 140 years on November 11th since Ned Kelly was hanged, since he, his, his life came to an end. But the story of the Kelly gang obviously didn't even come close to dying that day. There has been so much written, so many so many debates held, so much um, discussion about what they represented, what their motivations were, and I don't think that interest is going to be dying anytime soon. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing that amazing story, Hannah. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. This has been In Black and White, a podcast about some of Australia's forgotten characters. Written and hosted by me, Jen Kelly, produced by John T. Burton and edited by Andrea Tees-Evanson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love you to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Even better, leave a review. Any comments or questions, please email me at inblackandwhite at heraldsun.com.au. Any clarifications or updates to stories will appear in the show notes for each episode. And to get notified when each new episode comes out, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts.